Hey, Danas and Beckys, what you're about to hear is an encore presentation of one of our favorite episodes from the Don't Ask Tig archives. Please enjoy. Hello, listeners. Um, well, it's fall, or is it autumn? Isn't it called the same thing, fall and autumn? Some people are like, no, oh, it's fall. And others are like, happy autumn. I feel like I always say fall, and I wish desperately I was an autumn person. I feel like it sounds a little smarter. But uh, how is everyone doing? I'm just checking in because our autumn doesn't look like we thought it was going to, which is a bummer. But I hope everyone's doing okay. Yeah, it's been tricky. That's really all I wanted to say up front is, how are you? How is your autumn? And what are you looking forward to this autumn? I know for myself, I'm looking forward to my kids going to school, not because I want them out of the house, but because they are obsessed with school. I mean, get up, get dressed and sit and wait, fully dressed with their backpacks on for like 10 or 15 minutes early. And then we go. Go to don'tasktig.org and let me know what you are looking forward to. It's always good to have something to look forward to. I'm going to get back to the show now. Here I go. Do you like to listen to the sound of your own voice? Oh, I love it. You do? You love it? I am it. hilarious. Oh, it's so satisfying. I I um I can't stand it. Yeah, no, it's a nightmare. I can't believe people pay money to hear me talk. Mm. Or that they drive across town or some people mm -hmm. take a flight to another city to hear this voice. Mm -hmm. And they plan it in advance. In advance. And they go like, in three months, yeah. we're going to go, we're going to drive for three hours. Oh, it's terrible. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. And since my guest today is Canadian, I'm going to be polite and say, please don't ask me for advice. You probably already know and love my guest, comedian, actor, and host of the multiple Emmy Award winning talk show, Full Frontal with Samantha B. Samantha B, thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. Are you? I am. We're going to do lots of stuff. Yeah, we are going to do lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, lots and lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. This episode is a six-parter. Oh. <laughs> We're doing a lot. We'll be here for eight to 12 hours. A day. Yes. Until we finish. Until we're done. Now, we get a lot of questions from people about problematic bosses and toxic work environments. Okay. Yeah. What have you learned about being a good boss now that you're the boss of your own late night talk show? Uh, I have learned that trying to be a good boss is very difficult. 
And I think when you stop trying, that is very bad. I think you should always be trying. Yeah. It's something that takes a lot of thought. You have to be conscious. You have to be very conscious and you have to be very willing to fail. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, you have to show vulnerability. Like you have to give over to the process in a very deep way that is personally hurtful (laughs) (laughs) and causes you to wake up and just have many sleepless nights. Otherwise, I think you might be doing it wrong. Uh, Like, I think you're doing it wrong if you're not worried all the time mm -hmm. and sad a lot of it and feel like a failure. Isn't that great? That's great advice, right? Yeah. Sounds like something to hope to be one day is is a (laughs) boss. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, you know, people go to college to like learn how to do that stuff, which I really can't believe. Also being thrust into it with no idea what any of it means. Yeah. It is a unique challenge. It is a unique challenge. I never imagined I would be a boss at all. Right? It's hard. And then I I think I was a boss probably a few years in before I realized I was a boss. But that is a really big, like making that shift Uh to, oh, hang on a second. We're like, we're not all in it together to the same degree. Mm -hmm. Like there's a separation there. Mm -hmm. There's like a control and you have to be honest about it. And it's hard to look at. It's like, it's shocking. Yeah. It can sneak up on you and you're like, oh, I'm I'm a boss and I Wait. have to make certain decisions and mm-hmm. I have to handle things. Yeah. That's what you have to do. You have to handle things. And not always in a way that everyone loves. Right. Usually someone's mad at you. Yeah. And you have to like let people be mad at you a lot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's hard. you're the boss. There's one boss I always think about because- oh. She had, I worked at a framing store. Okay. That's right. Okay. I can really frame stuff. I know how big to make the mat opening. And she always had, she had a lot of bossisms. She had a lot of like assistant managerisms, or she, I guess she was the manager, the regional manager. And she was always like, if you've got time to lean, then you've got time to clean. And <laughs> I say that to my kids all the time. <laughs> and they hate it. Do you say it with a sense of humor or do you nerd alert? I say it in the spirit of humor. I'm trying to be like wry about it, Uh but they don't understand the history and they're just hearing it as I heard it, which was just fucking clean, please. And you haven't given them the backstory of that terrible saying? They don't care. Okay. According to them, I did not have a life. I was not a full person before they were born. So they don't want to hear about anything that happened while I was in my 20s. It's kind of true. Yes. They have a point. They're not wrong. Yeah. You weren't a boss and you didn't have kids. That's right. Now, since working from home during the pandemic, your kids Mm -hmm. sometimes show up on your show. They do. And are hilarious little people. They are. What do you think the secret to raising kids with a sense of humor is? Mm, I don't profess to know any secrets at all. Mm -hmm. My husband's also a comedian in comedy, Mm -hmm. writes comedy. So that's just how we know each other. And that's just how we interact with each other and why we love each other. And so it's inescapable in our home. It's not like, you know, when people ask you questions about your coupledom, they're like, you guys must laugh all the time. (laughs) And I'm like, I assure you, we are not (laughs) laughing all the time. But we are laughing. (laughs) We laugh. Of course we do. Yeah, you're like, we're not clinically insane. (laughs) (laughs) We still have to mow the lawn and like take out the trash. And we disagree on a lot of things. But we do 
You have good cackles together. We have good cackles. Mm-hmm. We see the world through a different lens. And so our children kind of join us on that journey now. And they can't really help it. I don't think that we tried to make them funny, but they turned out funny. Right. And thank God, they're much funnier than us. And they savage us. And my husband's so arrogant about it. He's like, don't even try me, kids. Like, don't, let's not go toe to toe in a roast battle. And I'm like, you don't understand, Jason. (laughs) These children will savage you in ways you can't imagine. They will cut you with so many knives that you don't even know you've been cut until your arm falls off. Yeah. See, my kids are only five. How old are yours? I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. Yeah. And so they're right. It's peak savagery. See, mine will, they're savagely cutting us too, but accidentally. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like we'll be watching Peppa Pig and Mm -hmm. my son will say, you're like daddy pig, right? And I don't think I'm daddy pig. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like I resemble Daddy Pig, but something about Daddy Pig, you know, they're trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. Or they're like, yes. um, why do we have two moms? And we're like, <laughs> right. you know, in the middle of the night, in the darkness, mm-hmm. lying in bed, why do we have two moms? And then we're trying <laughs> to explain. This was actually, it hurt at first because we were like preparing for a painful moment. Mm -hmm. And then our our son said, I want three moms. And then it was like, oh, Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) I want three. Yeah, it was. We need another one. We need just one more. Um, I don't know that I'm looking for another person to be walking around the house because my father-in-law also lives here. We have three cats, a father-in-law. And a father-in-law. Yeah. Your kids are like, you don't do enough for us. We need just <laughs> one more person. Just one more mom, and then we'll be all set. What you're saying reminds me, not that we're going to spend this whole time talking about our kids, but... Well, we have a six-part series. It's true. We have days. Mm. We girded ourselves. So we were like, all right, we're going to talk about sexual reproduction. We were like, we're going to tackle this. Let's do it. Like many years ago, we were like, now's the time when they get curious. We're going to answer all their questions, frankly. And honestly, we're going to be so open about it. We were so ready. We're like, we're so in this conversation. Let's have it. And so we gathered them all oh my God. and we sat them all down and we started to wait. You did or did not read a book. This was your own idea. We didn't. Mm. This was our gut, idea. It just felt like yeah. the right time. Gather like, the kids, check, start talking about sex. Yeah. Mm. Like we had the older, we had an older one and we had one that was like getting yeah. there. We didn't want them to have any confusion about their bodies mm-hmm. and the language of their bodies. We sit them down. We tell them all the facts. Their reaction was so, they were like, ew, fine. All right. I accept. And then exactly, almost exactly one year later, they came back to us and they were like, we forgot about how babies are born. Can you just do that whole thing again? No. Forgot everything you told us. Yeah. They forgot. They were being serious. It was such a boring conversation to them. completely tuned us out and they were like where do babies come from again the way you explained it at first sucked so badly let's try this again my son asked our housekeeper who was pregnant if her baby was just under her shirt and that she was just gonna take it out in nine months right which makes a lot of sense but i told stephanie one day 
I don't want to have those conversations. And she said she's happy to just tell them everything. And she thinks it's Mm -hmm. important to include gay sex and straight sex. Mm -hmm. And she's going to just cover everything. And I was like, that's Mm -hmm. incredible. And then I said, but it's also kind of weird to just, you know, say our kids are playing in their room and we just barge in and start telling them (laughs) X-rated stuff. It's such a weird intrusion on mm-hmm. their lives, but I guess you have to do it. But they're just like, do, do, do. And you're like, hey, guys, um, on my watch, it's time to tell you some really gross, weird, <laughs> uncomfortable stuff. So gather around. Here's the way people from all walks of life do it. When two people love each other very much, they hide a baby under their shirt. That's right. No follow-up questions. Thanks so much. Slam the door. That's right. Now, Samantha, it's time for our listener questions. How are you at giving advice? Well, I don't know. I mean, I like to organize people's stuff. I find it so cleansing. So maybe this is the, the brain version of that activity. Yeah. All right. Samantha, our first question comes from someone dealing with rejection. Adrian writes, Dear Tig, how can you tell if people actually want to hang out with you? I'm a 32-year-old trans woman on the autism spectrum living in San Francisco. I've always struggled to tell if people want to be friends or date me or if they're just being polite. Lately, I've been reaching out a lot to people to see if they want to meet up one-on-one, but half the time they don't, and I feel rejected. Any advice appreciated. Now, I just want to say right away, I'm lucky in that I still am friends with my friends from when I was a little human being, Mm -hmm. but making new friends, I think in general is kind of hard for people, regardless of your situation. But Mm -hmm. I would say if somebody's dating you, that is more than likely they're interested or they like you. And I also want to say that during the pandemic, and it's good that you're reaching out to people, but I would say, and I'm one of those people, I have not really been wanting to or been able to extend myself socially in the way that I did before the pandemic. So if you feel rejected by that, I would consider the fact that people might still be a little hesitant to jump back into life and connections right now. Um, I don't know. How do you, how do you feel? I agree with everything that you're saying. I think it is very across the board, very difficult to make friends as an adult. Mm -hmm. People are in their groove. You kind of don't want to interfere in their life. People seem busy. And I do think that a 50% hit rate seems like success to me, Mm -hmm. actually, because I don't think you'll ever get a 100% hit rate of people who want to hang out ever under the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I agree that people are socially not extending themselves in the same way. Often, I think that we feel rejected, or we feel like people are having fun without us, or we feel that way. 
but they are actually could also be shy or could also feel a fear of extending themselves or feel just unable to reciprocate for some other reason other than it may not be about you necessarily. Right. And I mean, I don't know if this is terrible advice. Again, this show is Don't Ask Tig. But mm-hmm. um, maybe if you're straightforward and just say, look, I like you, but I'll be honest, I have a ha-, And I could see myself saying this, that I mm-hmm. like you, but I have a hard time telling if people actually like me or if they're mm-hmm. just hanging out to be polite. And I just want to be very clear and I want to welcome you to be very clear, just so there's not any confusion. Like, I don't need you to be politely hanging out with me. Right. And I know that might be hard to say. You know, it's like when somebody's sick and, and I reach out to them and I say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I always try to include, please don't think that you have to respond to me. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you and I'm here for whatever you might need. And so you let somebody off the hook and there's no pressure there. This is very good advice. This is excellent advice. I love it. Well, you should listen to this show. I mean, I I, I feel like I could really help you. Yes. Yeah. This is great advice because there's no time as an adult. Just giving people an in and an out is actually kind to say, like, there's no need to, like, we don't have to beat around the bush. Yeah. I like you. This is my situation. If you don't want to do that, I completely understand. And not everyone is going to say yes to anyone in this world. Right. I mean, that's even in comedy. If you're doing okay in comedy, 51% of the time, you're doing well. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. kind of that 1% is kind of all you need to keep the dream Mm -hmm. alive. Yes. Um, I don't know how long. You can keep it alive on 51%. (laughs) But anyway, uh, Adrian, Samantha, and I wish you the best. And um, let us know how things are going. And uh, Samantha, let's take a well-earned break. Okay. And when we get back, I've got more questions. So stay put. Yes. Samantha B. Hello. Here's another listener question. Okay. I'm excited. Doug writes, I'm an elementary school teacher and also a sexually active queer guy. I want to meet people on apps and when safe, bars, but I'm afraid of being spotted by a parent or God forbid someday by a former student. What do I do? Doug, you're human. Yeah. You could be on apps. Yeah. Are you scared that you're going to be caught being queer? What do you suppose is happening, Samantha B? Is it just a small, maybe it's a small town dating pool, like a small town? And look, if they're catching you on a gay app, guess who's into likely similar stuff? Yeah. The parents. If there is a parent that does not embrace you having a full life outside of the premises where you teach their 
children, then they are truly not worth worrying about. That's terrible. Yeah. We have such little information. So Mm -hmm. we're going to have to just say, even if you're in a straight bar and you're Mm -hmm. living your life, how great. It's not like you've done anything wrong. You're Mm -hmm. just out dating and socializing and and maybe you're going to date one of those parents. Exactly. One day. You might become maybe a parent great. to one of your former students. So enjoy that, it Doug. It happens. Yeah. It happens all the time, Doug. Prepare all yourself for becoming a parent. Congrats on becoming a new parent, Doug. <laughs> Doug, look at you. You're an incredible stepfather. <laughs> you are incredible. Um, all right, Samantha, this next question comes to us mm-hmm. from the confession booth. Welcome to the confession booth. (gasps) Yeah. The Don't Ask Tig confession booth features listeners sharing secrets they've never told anyone in order for us to give them the advice they're afraid to ask for. Today's confession comes from someone, and I just want people to know that Samantha is crouched down, like she is Mm -hmm. ready for this, okay? Okay. It comes from someone with inappropriate feelings for someone that works for them. Hey, Tig. My name is Sal. And my secret is I think I have a big fat crush on my therapist. What should I do? Mm. Oh, I don't know. Tig, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I'm so lost. What are you supposed to do? It's not good. This happens. And you're not even supposed to socialize with your therapist. Yeah. I think that people start to develop these feelings because it's a tricky relationship because you're sharing such intimate stuff mm-hmm. in, in a way that you would share probably with the person that is your person, right? Yes. And so I think that can confuse the lines. Mm-hmm. And I would think that if your therapist is sharing those feelings with you, you need to not continue seeing them as a therapist. You need to stop immediately. You're saying then they should date outside of therapy. Well, for me, red flags are popping up all over the place. Uh I think this is pretty natural. To have a crush on your therapist? Yeah, because you're sharing even perhaps more intimate thoughts than you would share with your partner. That's true. My therapist is an 80-year-old man. (laughs) So I could imagine that confuses things um, and that it's pretty natural in that blur of emotions sometimes to develop a crush on that person you are paying Uh to listen to your most intimate thoughts, but you are paying. It is a transaction that is taking place. And they certainly, I hope they care about the outcome. They care about that money too. Keep that in mind. They do. And also what might help you with your big fat crush is get things into perspective here. Not only are you paying this person hundreds likely of people are paying the same person. Mm -hmm. This person is taking money from so, I mean, maybe not hundreds, (laughs) that's a busy schedule, but a lot of people are paying them, telling them intimate things, and likely 
half of them have crushes on that person too. Like mm-hmm. you are up against a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. what I would do. I would I would kind of make myself not feel so special in that kind of moment. I would be like, oh boy, this is like falling for a rock star, you know? Yes. And if the therapist in your life is like, you know what? I find you very attractive. Then I have another bunch of red flags. Like then my red flags are just, they're just flapping all over everything. I know somebody that got involved with their therapist. Mm-hmm. So do I. And it did not turn out well. That feels like a real no-go zone. So I would actually, if you can't frame your relationship with your therapist differently, I suggest exploring a new therapist. Yeah. Like pretty soon. How did the person you know, how did it go with their therapist? Not great. Uh-huh. Because that person, it was a little I think a little, maybe twisted, Mm -hmm. a little twisted. This was very twisted. The one that, but now I'm scared that Sal is like, oh, I love twisted romance. Don't do it, Sal. Even better. Don't don't do it. Don't. You don't want to know, you don't want to date someone who has all the levers of your personality and your psyche in their hands. The power dynamic is screamingly off and I don't like it. I'm going to take it a step further. Sal, they're not into you. All right, Sam. Great. Do we need to assign? Uh, <laughs> do we need to assign Sal any penance? Oh, penance. Yeah. No, I think this is a blow. This is hard. Do uh-huh. you know what I mean? This is a tough pill. Okay. So I think Sal's gonna just ruminate on this a little bit. All right. All right. Well, uh, let us know what you decide, Sal. Don't do it. Don't. Let's take a break from talking with our guests for a new segment sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I'm calling Therapy Etiquette, where I answer your questions about getting the professional help we need and deserve. This question comes from Liz. So I'm going to be looking for a new therapist because mine is retiring. Is it acceptable to tell her what issues I don't need to focus on? I'm disabled, and every new therapist I meet seems to want to dissect what this means for my psyche and emotional well-being. I'm an adult child of alcoholics, and my spouse is on the spectrum. As Maysoon Zayed said, I got 99 problems. My disability is just one. Uh, So I'm in full support of what you're saying because... You know, it's your time, it's your money, and it's how you want to spend your time talking to your therapist. But I think my concern is that if a therapist hears you saying that you do not want to talk about an issue, they might wonder how accurate of a self-assessment you might be having. So in the event a new therapist does want to discuss things with you, about your disability, it seems like maybe considering answering them more directly so that your new therapist can have information to begin their attempt to understand you might be a helpful move. It it just seems like if you're flat out avoiding it, it, it could come across as a gigantic issue. And um, 
I think it's important in any relationship like this that you're checking in and and giving them feedback about how the interaction is is going. And um, I think that's explaining why you feel this way and just helping them understand, I think, is, is really what's important so that you can get to the topics that are pressing for you or more pressing. Because obviously your disability isn't news to you, but it's new to your therapist. So you can decide to set your boundaries maybe before you meet with your therapist and decide what you want to talk about and how you want to talk about it as far as your disability goes so that you can, like I said, move on and make it clear why you feel this way. I think more so instead of just coming in and being like, look, (laughs) I don't want to talk about this. But I think you're right to anticipate that your therapist is going to want to address it. And I'm sure it's annoying. But the truth is, if you avoid this, it's going to probably draw more attention. And your therapist is trained to probe when you're avoiding. Maybe try being just so direct and just say, I acknowledge my disability, but I worry that I'm reduced to and defined by it. And then see how it goes from there. I also think it could be helpful to specifically look for a therapist that has a shared lived experience or specializes in your issues around disability or lack thereof issues around your disability. They likely will start your treatment from a place that isn't you know, tokenizing because they understand that your disability doesn't define you. I hope that's been helpful or at least somewhat reassuring. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this Q&A. Now let's return to our conversation with Samantha B. Samantha, this last question involves another person in need of career advice. (gasps) Okay. Billy writes, I am a gay male sex worker. I love my job, and I'm good at it, but I'm getting a little bored with it. I'm also turning 40 next year, so I think it's time to move on and do something legit. What should be my next career move? Well, I think you have to look deeply inside yourself and say, well, what interests me? Mm -hmm. What do I like? You know, what do I fill my time with when I'm not working? Yeah. What gives me inspiration and start there? Yeah, I would even say go to your craziest dream ever of what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. What is your dream? And Samantha Mm -hmm. and I have had this conversation before that you're never too old to do something Mm -mm. new. Never too old. You can pursue your dream at any age, no matter what you've done. Mm -hmm. Because my dream was to be a stand-up comedian. And a lot of stand-up comedians start so young that when I started at, I think, 26, I was considered kind of older for stand-up. And I never in a million years imagined I could ever do it. Somebody wrote in one Mm -hmm. time saying that um, they wanted to start a bookstore in their small town. And was that a crazy dream? Mm -hmm. Guess who wrote back and said, 
that they followed Don't Ask Tig's <gasps> advice and started a bookstore in their little town. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I started comedy when I was 28 or 29 or something like that. Like it was such a faraway dream. I never even dared to dream it. Right. So like there are only a few things at the age of 40 that are probably off limits to you. One is being a ballet dancer. I'm sorry. Your time has passed. Yeah, but his name is Billy. True. I mean, wasn't in Billy a dan- like a famous dan? And they're like a Billy. Billy Elliot. Billy El- I mean, he was. He was young. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was a teenager, but it's fine. <laughs> Maybe this is Billy Elliot. Maybe this is Billy Elliot. Yeah. We don't know. And there's not really too much that is not available to you. Okay, so don't get into ballet. Maybe not. So the two things off the table, sex worker and ballet. And ballet. And that's about that it. That is it. You can go to medical school. You can become a photographer. You can, there are a million, I don't know why I thought of those two things. You can either be a doctor or a photographer and there's no other possibility. I know. <laughs> and I can't wait to see, oh, you know how you could combine them? Radiologist. Oh my God. There we go. That's great. There we go. Enjoy your new career, Billy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I say go dream at the top because mm-hmm. uh, Samantha and I are living our top dream. It's possible. It is possible. Mm-hmm. And then if you're like, ah, I can't do that, or I'm not in the right shape to do this, you could get in the right shape, or I'm not mm-hmm. in the right part of the country, you you know, just go down, go down from the top. Don't go bottom to top. Go top. You literally only have you have one life to live and one body to live yeah. in. So if you have the chance and the mindset to fully explore yourself, you have to grasp that. It's an amazing revelation, I think, and a huge opportunity. That's right. And I'm excited for you. I am too, Billy Elliot. How exciting that Billy Elliot Billy wrote Elliot, in. You're an incredible dancer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Billy, if the career move that we are suggesting doesn't work. Blame Samantha. All right. Yes. Samantha, I need your help with one last thing Mm -hmm. before we go. Okay. That was it for our, our listener questions. And just one last thing. And, um, this is the advice of yesteryear. When Jerry brags about taking Ginny out, he learns that she dates all the boys. So as we see now, menstruation is just one routine step in a normal and natural cycle. How do you choose a date? Well, one thing you can consider is look. I did everything you said, but my boss still hasn't asked me to lunch. Okay, this is where we take a real question from an advice column of yesteryear. (gasps) That excites you? It does, because they're often like, make more casseroles for your husband. He's tired at the end of a long day of work. He's been in the city. He's been in the city with a briefcase in his hand. Okay, so we try to answer it a little better. Okay. Did you know that Eleanor Roosevelt had an advice column? I did not know that. Well, she did, and it's called If You Ask Me. Wow. Are we going to redo Eleanor Roosevelt's advice? <laughs> That's right. Great. We can beat her. No problem. Someone wrote to her in 1960 with this question. Mm-hmm. Have you any words of advice or comfort for a woman who has just been widowed? Oh. Yeah. 
And what did she say? Well, we will find that out once you and I have advice for a widow. Okay. Advice for a widow. Well, I can only, gee, this is such a big question. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. Well, also don't ask Sam because I don't know, but I will. Oh, do you have a competing podcast? Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to start one starting right now. (laughs) Um, Congrats on the launch. Thank you so much. And this is what I'm going to launch it with. The saddest Mm -hmm. advice in the world. I guess all I know about grief is what I have personally experienced. Like I only know my own personal experience Mm -hmm. and how I got through it. And how I got through it was literally allowing myself to be a grieving person and not judging myself and allowing myself to cry when I wanted to, even if I was with people. And I just cried and talked. And so if I was with someone and I started crying, I would just say, listen, this is, I'm not crying because of you. I'm not crying because of anything you said. I'm crying because I'm grieving. And I just thought of this person who I loved so much. So I'm just going to cry through this portion of the conversation. I'm going to cry right now thinking about it. And I like just forgave myself for being sad all the time. And then about a year, oh my God, I can't believe I'm crying on your podcast. But then about- It happens. Like- you have to let yourself go to the depths of your sadness so that you can one day see the light. And then one day you just wake up and you go, okay, it feels like a veil lifts. Mm -hmm. For me, it took about a year before I could see the sunshine again. Yes. And I thought, okay, like, I guess that's what grief is. You just have to forgive yourself. Yes. Samantha, thank you for sharing that. I don't know. That's all I've got. Do you have better advice? No, I, 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 I feel the same way. I remember, you know, well, I, it took me a while to realize that I had to do that. Cause I remember mm. my mother passed away unexpectedly and I was really sick at the time. And I remember mm. lying in bed and I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so lazy. I'm so lazy. And I had this feeling of, I shouldn't be just lying in bed. And, um, but I just couldn't physically and emotionally, I just, I couldn't get out of bed. I was so destroyed and, and I had to remind myself or not even remind, but I guess learn that. Mm-hmm. It's not only okay, but it's necessary, like you're saying, to just stay put, feel your feelings, mm-hmm. and allow yourself to to heal from this pain because there's no way, there is no way to heal unless you rest. It's like having a broken leg. You can't just keep mm-hmm. walking around with a broken leg. You have to rest. You have to let it heal. If you keep walking, it will never heal. It's the same with your emotions. You have mm-hmm. to lie down and let your emotions heal. And I, I'm still not great at doing either uh, physical mm-hmm. or emotional healing. I'm always amazed that I think I've learned my lesson and then human nature kicks in and you're like, I got to keep going. I can't stop. I don't feel well or I'm sad. And then you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. And one of the greatest things I heard once was, and this is for physical 
stuff, but I think that it can apply to a lot of things. But if you don't take time for your health, you're going to have to make time for your illness. And that I think is very helpful to think about. Yes. And it's not like grief is like the craziest. It's the most, it's such a roller coaster because some days you feel okay and you can get stuff done and like, but it stops you. It's absurd how long it lasts. This person, I'm crying about a person who died over 20 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking, this was a long time ago and I'll still bust out tears. Yeah. This is what grief is. So you just have to let it. And I'm, and I, right now I'm anticipating what Eleanor Roosevelt said, which is like, give yourself a week, brush it off, and fix yourself a strong martini <laughs> or something. You know? you know, it's funny, Samantha. I forgot that you are known for your Eleanor Roosevelt impression. Uh, Get cracking. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. Eleanor's answer. Okay. I would urge you to keep very busy to work at something as hard as she possibly can and to become interested in as many things and as many people as possible. To lose someone one loves and to be alone is very difficult, but this adjustment has to be made by many people, and I think it is easier if you are occupied. So it's get cracking. <laughs> you were right. It's actually get cracking. Get pitter-patter. Let's get at her. And in between those lines, I also read, uh, get a martini. Get a martini. And get cracking. Um, <laughs> oh, oh man. Goodness. Well, whoever that someone was that wrote in 1960, I hope that you Oof. have healed or are healing. And yes. Samantha, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, and I am, I am sorry for yours. Thank you. And you know what's weird is that I love thinking about this person in my life. Yeah. It's a gift to be reminded. It is. It's that bittersweet. I I, I lost somebody a couple of years ago, and I can go away in dreamland and just think about her. And, and then it hits me. It's that grief that gets you. And you're like, ah, we were all robbed so soon. Yes. And it's just crazy making. And then you go back into, oh, man, she was number mm-hmm. one. She was the best. Yeah. I'm glad we had this conversation, all the twists and turns that it took. And I hope Me something too. was helpful for someone because we have reached the end of our show, Sam. Oh, and it has been a pleasure. This was a complete pleasure. Just as I knew it would be. Yes. You fulfilled all of my dreams and expectations today. You always fulfill all of mine. So um, thank you for taking the time to be with us. And is there anything you'd like to let people know about? Oh, Could we well, give your career uh, a little bump? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a show called Full Frontal with Samantha Lee that is Wednesday at 10.30 p.m. on TBS. But I also have a podcast mm-hmm. called Full Release, which we release new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast. Come and join us. Rollicking. We have rollicking times. And have a martini. And a martini. Yeah. Get back at it. Come on. Get up. Get cracking. They're gone. Get cracking, would you? They're gone. Fix yourself These a drink. Floors. Fix yourself a drink and start buffing your floors. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you again for being here. And um, I know I will see you soon for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All righty. Thank Bye. you. Bye.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lohr. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by Christina Lopez. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark and Elena C. Our theme music is... Friend in Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman, Lily Kim, Alex Schaffert, and Lauren D. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 